Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Tonight, I have another throwback episode for you. I know many of you really enjoy these, and this is another one from Santa Barbara Community Church. The speaker is Rosemary, and I had the honor of being in a Bible study with her many years ago, although it feels like yesterday. And this is from 2013. So ladies, let's dive in and hear Rosemary's story. Okay, the first thing I have to say to all of you before I even begin is... Thank you all for praying for me. I've been so encouraged these past few weeks by all of your texts and emails and notes and um, just really appreciative of that. Thank you so much. Now let's talk about cooking because that's my favorite topic. (laughs) Okay, so I want you all to take a moment and think about a really great meal that you had. What was it about the meal that made it so great? Was it the flavors? Was it the vegetables? They were just perfectly cooked, not too soft, not too crisp. Was it the sauce? Was it the meat melted in your mouth like butter? Or was it the atmosphere? Was it the table that you were around? Was it a cozy restaurant? Was it a table outside? Was it the people that you were with? Was it the conversation that you had? I love a good meal and everything that goes along with it. I want to show you a clip of some people enjoying a really good meal. This is from a movie called Chocolat. It's one of my favorite movies. And I can see a lot of you have seen it. If you haven't, you should put it on your list because it's really great. So I'm going to show you this clip. As you saw the faces as they were eating the food, and then you, and then it was all music for a while, right? But then it, you could start hearing the laughter and the enjoyment, not just of the food, but the company. And that's what I so love about a meal. And my love for meals began basically at birth. <laughs> I grew up around a large Italian family. So I was born into a home. There's my home in Massachusetts, um, in a small town in Massachusetts with my mom and my dad and my grandfather and my great aunt. So there they are. There's me in the middle. (laughs) I was always in the middle. (laughs) My mother was the only English-speaking person in our house. So I grew up with a very large extended family and I was immersed in Italian culture and food, and family, and uh, I loved my extended family. So this is a photo. So, <laughs> so let me just tell you, Italians, they don't camp, okay? There's no camping with Italians. They go to the Campania, which is the country. So this is my Italian family in the country, their version of camping. This is before I came along, because that's my mother in the middle. Um, pretty fun picture. There's my mom again with my grandfather next to her on this, this side. Oh, and I'm, see, so I'm kind of, I'm still kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, so that's my family. So I loved getting together with our extended family and having meals and Italians 
have this amazing ability to uh, be in one conversation and listen to another conversation. Like one ear is over here and one ear is over here. It's amazing. So you can be talking to someone and totally tracking with what's going on over here and then correct them if they're not saying the right thing and then go right back to this conversation. It's really remarkable. Um, so I was an only child, if you haven't picked up on that yet, and I was spoiled. Now, for some of you in this room who might be a little young, you might not be able to understand this, but when I was growing up, the end-all, be-all toy for me was Barbie, okay? And as I was growing up, Barbie was just starting to get a few more things besides her clothes and her cool shoes. So she got the car, which I had, and she got the camper, which I had, and she got the airplane, which I had. <laughs> but the thing that every girl my age wanted more than anything was the Barbie townhouse. It was two stories, and it had an elevator. So one of my friends who is here tonight, I, I'll be like Steve, I won't look in the right direction. Um, one of my friends who is here tonight, whenever she tries to describe to someone how spoiled I was, she says, she got the Barbie townhouse. <laughs> so, my mother told me that I was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and I believed her. <laughs> my father was a professional chef, trained in Italy. My mother was a professional baker. And my grandfather was a professional eater. No sooner had my mom sat down for breakfast than my grandfather would be asking her what was for lunch, and then during lunch, what was for dinner. I loved my grandfather. By the time um, I came along, he had retired from his job as a tailor in the town that we grew up in, so he spent a lot of his time making me the best-dressed little girl in town. There's my grandpa. That's one of the dresses he made me, and now you'll see a few more. And please notice the purse. <laughs> I, uh, and the purse. So my grandfather, um, he, was, he was very well respected in our town. So not only amongst our family, but also in the, whole, the town as a whole. So people would come to our house to ask his advice on things. And he would hold court, seriously. Like he had this big red chair, very high, and he was, you know, my height, my whole family. I didn't have a fighting chance, all five feet. And he would sit in his chair and people would come and ask him and he would dispense advice to them. And my mother would bring in the food. I could never tell if they were coming for his advice or the food, but our house was always filled with people. I wish I could sit there a little longer, but my notes are over here. Okay, so, yeah, so I'm going to go to my dad now. My dad grew up in Sicily, and he came to America when he married my mom at age 35, and he retained his thick, heavy Italian accent till the end. Rosa Mary, that's what he called me. Um, as I mentioned, he was a chef, and he was never more happy than when people were eating his food. So... One of my very favorite movies, because my dad, this is my dad, is Big Night. Um, and if you've never seen it, you should rent it. It's about these two Italian brothers who come from Italy and open a restaurant in America in the 1930s. And um, I'm going to show you a scene where they make this dish. It's called timpano. And my dad has made it before. Pam Nguyen is here. She's eaten it before, because my dad has made it for her. And the other night, um, some friends of ours, uh, we, Tim Kiros made it for some friends of ours, and we ate it. But this is a scene. It's a very uh, difficult dish to make. So this is a scene uh, where they're having this big dinner party. Here's the scene. No, save this one for a little bit. Okay, okay. Okay. Catch it, Um. <laughs> That's Maybe so my dad. Still. No, no, we have to serve now. I mean, 
Okay. Okay. No, wait. Cut at the table. Okay. 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 I worry it's going to be too hot. It's going to fall That's what I say. Is it too hot? No, no, no. We don't have time for too hot. Let's go. Come okay. on. Come on. Christian, open the door. So good, I should kill you. <laughs> Italians can be a little dramatic. I've never been accused of that. So, about my mom. My mom was a phenomenal person. She was the glue in our extended family. Everyone loved my mom. Um, that's her first communion picture. Uh, she demonstrated such care and compassion for everyone that she came across. She was the best aunt, she was the best sister, the best daughter, the best wife, the best friend, and she was the best mom. Everyone confided in my mom. She was one of the dearest women that you would ever meet. Um, I'll show you a few more pictures of her. It's her and her brother. She's very stylish, too. I love this one. Okay, so my parents, my mother, my mother at age 35 ran away from home. Seriously. She waited that long. 35, she ran away from home and flew to Sicily and married my father. She lied to her dad, told him she was going to New York. She wrote him a letter on the plane and said, I went to Sicily to marry John. Well, really his name was Santo. So there are my parents in Sicily. My mother looks terrified, like, what have I done? There's the wedding, the big Italian family. Okay, so... I think I mentioned this, but my mom, her assessment of me was off the charts. I mean, just really off the charts. But she was so sure of herself and her belief in me that I believed her. And so then my assessment of myself was off the charts. <laughs> my mom passed away 22 years ago. Um, and for the people who knew her, I am a little glimpse of her. When I go back east, this is what I hear the most often. Rosemary. The splitting image of your mother. Mock, mock, come here, look at her, look at her. Everybody, her mother, her mother. It's the thing I most love to hear. Yeah, they all talk like that. Even my mother, my mother. So my parents had different styles of cooking. My dad was the kind of person who just, he was creative, he just put things together, he threw things in, very similar to the way Bonnie cooks. <laughs> That's a compliment. But trying to get a recipe out of him, forget about it. So I'd say, you know, he could give me the ingredients, but how much? No. A cup, a half a cup. He'd say, Rosa Mary, you look, you see, you taste. <laughs> My mother on the other hand, followed recipes, primarily when she baked, because baking is a science. Um, so I gained a great appreciation for a recipe. But sometimes, even when you're following a recipe, what you're making doesn't turn out the way you planned. Or the meal doesn't turn out the way you thought it would. Or the conversation goes in a different direction. And so it has been for me, uh, the meal I had envisioned for my life, the food, and the people around the table have not been what I thought. There is still food, and there are still people, but it has looked very different. I wanted what I grew up with, 
and I just assumed it would be that way for me. I had a great growing up experience. I continued to believe my mother's assessment of me even into junior high. <laughs> yeah. So now you get to see pictures of me and the evolution of my hair. <laughs> There I am at the beach. I know, Mo, I spent a lot of time at the beach. I know, it's surprising. Oh, this is my best friend, John Salemi. He lived across the street from me. <laughs> We were like this. <sighs> I loved John. So there was this show on TV when I was a kid called Family Affair. Yeah. And uh, the, the girl in it was Buffy. And that's a Buffy shirt. I know. Okay, look at those curls. And my peace sign necklace. Mm -hmm. And my dad's pants. Nice. Oh, here's junior high. Look what has happened to my hair. And look at that cool blue silk top. Oh, I was styling. And my brown dittos. Yeah. And now the hair is starting to get poofy. And poofier. Yep. Okay. So, I love school. I had a ton of friends. I succeeded academically without even trying. And I didn't get into any trouble. I was raised Catholic, and I had a belief in God and Jesus, but I didn't really understand any sort of uh, relationship component. Um, and I never had read the Bible. I went to UCSB for college. And my sophomore year, I had a neighbor. His name was John. And every week, he invited me to go to InterVarsity Christian Group. And every week, I said no to this guy. Because I was like... Bible freaks, I don't think so. So every week I said no. And he asked me every week from September until April. And finally I was just so tired of this guy asking me. I thought I'm going to get him off my back. I'll just go once, make him happy. I was the easiest, fastest convert to faith that you have ever seen in your entire life. Like, God loves me? Well, of course he does. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> oh, he wants to have a relationship with me? I'd love to have, I love relationships. I'd love to have one. <laughs> The whole concept of sin that, see, I thought I was a pretty fantastic person. And so that part, like, I didn't think I needed to repent for anything. So that part just sort of escaped me. <laughs> As the years have gone by, and I've gotten to know my God, and I've gotten to know myself in view of who God is. Um, I've definitely understood what he did for me, the mercy that he showed me, the grace that he demonstrated. But at that time, I sure didn't. And I would say the flavors of my meals changed. You know, um, they started to have more depth to them, and the conversations became more meaningful. And God asked me to come in and dine with him. And I was so delighted to. I couldn't wait. And I was really delighted by his people. Still am. As I mentioned, the meals and the people around the table have not been what I hoped for. I was sure I would get married and have children and live in a home filled with lots of people and lots of activity. And... That hope has not been fulfilled for me. And that's been hard. The faces of my husband and children have not emerged around my table, but other faces have. I have been invited into families. Parents have shared their children with me. Husbands have come over and fixed my thermostat or hooked up my computer. I've been surrounded with care and friendship financial help, uh, basically community. I have some friends whose children have called me Aunt Rosemary since they first began to, began to talk. One of them is here tonight. They call me Aunt Ro now, because that's cooler, and they're older. <laughs> But I have to say, the one that's here is an adult now, and she still calls me that, and I love it, because it's a title. I get to have a title, and I love that.
And even without the title, I've gotten to be an aunt in a lot of other families. I have some traditions with families. I spend Christmas Eve at a family's house, and I've been doing it for 15 years, started when their kids were little. Their kids are all grown up now. I'm still spending the night. (laughs) And I love it. I have a lot of other traditions and a lot of other families who welcome me in, and it's made a big difference. And it sustains me most days. But I have to say that I have made some meals out of disappointment and loneliness. And I've had to force myself to push those plates away. I'm not saying that it's not reasonable for me to be sad or lonely about the situation that I find myself in. But continuing on that path isn't sustainable, and it's really not that much fun. And um, it's easy for it to turn into self-pity. And one way that I've found to get outside of myself is to look for opportunities to serve. So for these past years, I've uh, been involved in different things. I've done Young Life. Um, Probably the highlight of all the things that I've done is youth group. So I got to spend eight years with a group of girls that I adored. And... um, And I've been a home group leader, and I've done the gathering, and I do PowerPoint slides. I know you guys think that's nothing, but it's really tough. (laughs) And I do prayer teams. um, And I'm not telling you all this, you know, how great I am. But really, I want to testify to what God does when I'm able to get outside of myself and look outward. And the thing that happens is, you know, I'm not doing some great benefit for the people that I'm, it's all coming back to me, you know, twofold, threefold, for sure. And I've just been so blessed by that um, through all the years. I've had some losses, the loss of some dreams, as I've referred to, Um, the loss of health. I have a chronic illness that isn't much fun. the loss of a friendship. And as I look around this room, I know that a lot of you have had some losses, health or job or marriage, disappointments, loss of relationship. I know that's hard. I think the hardest losses for me have been the people. So my mom, as I mentioned, and my dad. Oh. I forgot to show you college. My hair got poofier. Look at that. Look at that poof. And look at his face. Not good. But this is who I was getting to, was Claire. And my dear friend Matt. I have to say, I've wrestled with God. I've been angry, and I've been disappointed, and I've told him. And in the midst of that, or maybe because of that, I have gained a depth of relationship with God that I had never experienced before. When I look around my table and those faces aren't there anymore, it's a grief that is sometimes hard to bear. And I look around this room and I see the names of other people. I'm thinking of so many right now. Paul and Steve, Ellen, Tom, Andrew, Jerry, Bill. And there are a lot of you, the names I don't, I don't know, but I know their titles. They were brother or mother or husband, daughter, son. And I don't mean this in any trivial way whatsoever, but my heart goes out to all of you. <laughs> got the Kleenex. It really does. It really does. In some ways, grief is solitary, but it's also communal. And I've had the privilege of walking through suffering and grief with people in my life. I can tell you countless ways that God has shown up in the midst of that. But the one that took me off guard was this. I've been thinking about what joy is for a while now. It's clear in scripture that God wants us to be joyful, 
but I haven't been sure of what that looks like. I felt like it was missing from my life, and God showed it to me in the most unexpected place, uh, through sorrow. So someone else can so better articulate than, this, than me, and it's Henry Nouwen. So I'm going to read this. Joy is hidden in compassion. The word compassion literally means to suffer with. It seems quite unlikely that suffering with another person would bring joy. Yet being with a person in pain, offering simple presence to someone in despair, sharing with a friend times of confusion and uncertainty, such experiences can bring us deep joy. Not happiness, not excitement, not great satisfaction, but the quiet joy of being there for someone else and living in deep solidarity with our brothers and sisters in this human family. Often this is a solidarity in weakness, in brokenness, in woundedness, but it leads us to the center of joy, which is sharing our humanity with others. Isn't that great? I love that. I wish I could tell you that I've come through the other side and all the hard parts are gone or that the longings that I have have diminished, or that I'm confident that some of them will be fulfilled this side of heaven, or that at the end of the day I don't go home alone, or the substitutes have filled the longings and made up for the people I've lost. They haven't. But he is God, and I am not. And I have chosen to throw my lot in with him, no matter what. I can tell you this. God has changed the way I hope. I used to have so much hope in this life and its circumstances. And I have learned to hope in the things of God. His promises to me that he will never leave me or forsake me. That he has prepared a place for me that he will fill me with his Holy Spirit to guide me and use me, I have such an assuredness that I belong to God and he has me tight in his grasp and nothing has shaken that. I will continue to have meals and there will continue to be people around the table. My story isn't over. And someday, I'm going to be sitting at the best banquet table with the Lord, and I'm sure the food is going to be amazing. <laughs> Thank you for listening to me. I'm going out on a limb. Tell <laughs> how excited I am. <laughs> you can only do this with somebody you know really well, or you want someone you want to get back at for something. Um, <laughs> saying, um, but do you have any? Does anyone have any questions they would like to ask Rosemary? It doesn't have to be deep. It could be anything about her. Yes, Candy. Oh, that's a great question. I didn't tell that story. Yeah, so my mom, age 35, single, taking care of her dad, my grandpa. And my grandfather was very concerned that she was going to, like, take off and he wouldn't have anyone to cook his breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> so, so a little part of the thing about my mom was that she was a podiatrist and had her own office. So she was kind of like this little independent career woman and old-fashioned Sicilian. So... One of her patients was the aunt of my dad. So my dad worked on ships as a chef, and his ship docked in Boston. And he went to go visit his aunt, and his aunt introduced him to my mom. And he was there in Boston for like a couple of months. The ship was there for a couple of months. And so he kept asking my mom out. She kept saying no. She thought he was just trying to find a way to get into the country. <laughs> and uh, one day she saw him walking around town with another girl. And he totally ticked her off. So the next time he asked her out, she said yes. 
But eventually he had to go back to Sicily, so he said, if you love me, come marry me. And she was like, I can't, my grandfather, or my father, and my, my, my grandfather was completely opposed to the whole thing. So she ran away from home. <laughs> oh, they just were married there. And then they came back and lived in Massachusetts. Yeah. Oh, I have a funny story I forgot to tell you guys. You want to hear it? So when I was in college, like you have a choice. <laughs> audience. <laughs> when I was in college, I took this class, this history class on organized crime <laughs> with my boyfriend at the time, the guy who looked like when I was sitting on him. Um, yeah, so he and I took this class and one night he was studying for it and I, of course, was not because I didn't study much. And I heard him say, uh-oh. And I said, what? And he said, nothing. And I said, what? And he said, just something I read. So my last name, for those of you who don't know me, is Myoni. Myoni. It's not a very common name. I've never met anyone with my last name except for my family. So he said, uh, they're talking about your last name in the book, where they're talking about the origins of the mafia in Sicily. <laughs> like, and he's like, if we break up, like, are people going to come break my kneecaps? Or what's going on? So I called my dad. I'm like, Dad, we're reading this book, Origins of the Mafia. There's our last name. Are, is, are we, is the mafia in our family? Oh, Rosemary, you know we're about nothing. <laughs> um, Dad, that's not an answer. Oh, Rosemary, I got to go. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> so to this day, I can't tell you. I knew it wouldn't be hard to keep her talking. Any other questions? <laughs> There's got to be more. There's some good ones here. Rosemary or the family? How'd you get to Santa Barbara? I went to UC Santa Barbara, and I never left. I don't know. You, oh, school was so random for me. I just picked it out of a hat, like, basically, and here I was. Well, you, God had it all planned. I just didn't know it. Uh, the, town, the town that I'm from in Massachusetts is called North Andover. <laughs> Last time I went back, I went out with some cousins of ours who are in their 80s, and we decided to go to Tripoli's Bakery to get a pastry. So we're driving there, and Reader, Reader my cousin Reader, was in, the, was in the car. And... My cousin Frank is driving, and we pull into Tripoli's, he parks, and she says, Fisichelli's is better. And Frank's like, but we're here. And she's like, I'm just saying, Frank, Fisichelli's is better. And he's like, but I packed. And his wife, Mary, looks at him, she goes, start the car. We're going to Fisichelli's. Rita's like, I don't care what we do, but Fisichelli's is better. We went to Fisichelli's. <laughs> and my favorite restaurant is Cadario. My favorite, favorite meal. meal. My favorite meal. Spoiled girl that I am, I would have to say lobster. <laughs> I forgot about the Shea story. So I went to New York one time with a girlfriend of mine, and so one of my favorite movies of all time is Moonstruck. If you haven't seen it, you gotta go see it. Okay, so there's a bakery in Moonstruck. It's called Camerari's Bakery, and there's actually a Camerari's Bakery in New York, so I had to go there. So we went there, and I had to take a picture. There's part of the scene as you go outside and down these stairs to the, where the ovens are, where Nicolas Cage is, right? So I want a picture going down to the stairs because that's where Nicolas Cage was. And so Cher was in the movie alongside Nicolas Cage, right? And she comes to the bakery looking for him. So I'm standing there posing for a picture and this moving truck drives up with the windows rolled down and these two guys in the moving truck and one of them goes, hey, look, it's Cher. <laughs> and the other one goes, nah, she's too short to be Cher.
go, I can keep going all night. <laughs> No, you know what they tell me? You have a California accent. I'm like, have you people watched TV? I'm not the one with the accent. Oh, you have such a California accent, Rosemary. Rosemary. The emphasis on the Mary. So no, I don't fall into it. Is that Sarah? <laughs> I don't know, I might have to resurrect it. <laughs> Communications, because I didn't really know how to talk very well. I learned a lot. Oh, the timpano? Yeah, it can be different things depending on kind of the region of Italy. Um, theirs, I noticed, had um, like hard-boiled eggs in it, which is a little weird. Um, but primarily, it's a mixture of pasta and meat sauce and cheese. And um, some different regions add different things. And it's, my dad would make it, and he would make a mosaic design inside the pan when he baked it with roasted peppers and zucchini and eggplant. So when you flipped it over, it, and he did it kind of in a, more of a bowl, so it was like domed, and it was just gorgeous, like this mosaic of, and he would make it a lot for Christmas, um, of red and green patterned all over it, just gorgeous. He did such a good job with that. I have never made it. Devin. Thank you, Devin. That's so sweet. I hope you enjoyed hearing that story and the little surprise ending between Bonnie and Rosemary when they had a little Q&A session. That was kind of a new a new piece to the Story Night podcast and the Story Night event. And I have Rosemary here with me for just a quick catch-up and conversation to kind of close our podcast. So Rosemary, thank you so much for being here. And I was hoping you could maybe give us a little a little update on your life since you shared your story. Sure, I'd be happy to. Hi, everyone. I was I would like to tell you, though, that I'm sorry, you podcast listeners, because I'm really better experienced in 3D. I realized that <laughs> as you're listening, you're missing a few things because I showed some movie clips and I had a lot of photos <laughs> and I wish you could have seen those all. That would have been fun. But so I apologize that you didn't quite get the full measure of me and my story. But anyway, I'm so happy to uh, be talking to you all. And I was thinking about, gosh, so it's been seven years since I did that. And how does my life, life look different? I think one of the things that I really appreciated about Bonnie starting the story nights, and I think she talked about this, I listened to your first podcast with her, is that not everybody's story is tied up in a neat little bow. And I think that's definitely true for me. And like, I wish I could tell you, oh, well, all these great things happened and I'm so great now and everything's wonderful. But that isn't actually the case. And that doesn't mean that everything's horrible. My life is really good, but I still have those longings that I talked about and they haven't been fulfilled. But some really neat things have happened in the past seven years. And 
the one that I wanted to tell you about is that two months after I did my story night, Bonnie asked me to start leading a grief group. And so, as you know, from my story, I experienced a lot of loss. And then I walked alongside people who had experienced loss. And so Bonnie thought that that would be a great way for me to get some redemption out of all of that. And so I started leading a grief group up at church with another friend of mine. And we've been doing it for the past seven years, every summer. And it has been so wonderful. It's such a strange thing to say, but that grief group has brought me so much joy. And I think about that quote from Nowin that I talked about at the end of story night. And it's so true that you can find joy in the midst of sorrow. And I've seen that happen over and over again in these groups with these wonderful women um, each year telling their stories of loss and it's been really, really a rewarding and redemptive thing in my life. So that's something I'm super thankful for. That's amazing. And I mean, really, what kind of world other than the one that God created that you could have joy out of grief? Exactly. Yeah. How much so many women need that right now for whatever's causing their grief in this crazy 2020 that our prayer is that they can find joy, joy in the grief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then um, the other little update for me is that uh, starting in January, I became an elder at our church. So that's a whole new role that I'm, and then of course, COVID hit. And so I thought, oh, it's, you know, I'm going to go into elders. Our church has had a little bit of some upheaval in the past couple of years and Things are going really well right now. And I thought, oh, I'm coming in at just the right time. And then something always happens, you know. But so that's an exciting and new thing for me. And I'll I'll be on, we do a six-year rotation. So I'm eight months into my six years of being an elder. And that has also brought me so much joy. I'm really, really enjoying getting to be with the other elders and having a voice in what happens in our church. And it's been really exciting. So that's been a really great thing too. Yes, you certainly did come in in a fun <laughs> time. No. <laughs> I talked to so many people who, you know, just started a new job or a new position or a new calling or moved to a new place right when the pandemic came along. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you that I ask all of our speakers if you had just a fairly brief moment to give some words of hope and encouragement to ladies who especially identify with your story i'm really thinking of women out there who had a vision for what their life was going to look like in terms of family in terms of marriage and children and their story at least as as of today hasn't been written the way that they had it written in their heads. And what might you, what might you say to those women? That's such a great question. And that, as you know, that's definitely the case for me. And I know it's the case for so many other women out there. And I think my words of encouragement are to not look at it. It's very easy to look at it as, oh, this is like plan B. Like it, I could have had plan A and this is plan B and what a disappointment that is. And not to say that you shouldn't be disappointed because I, there are many times where I'm disappointed, but in God's mind, this isn't a plan B, right? This is, this is what, what he always had for you. And so my encouragement would be to let that be your focus to think about like, okay, this is, this is God and I are in this together. And despite the fact that this isn't exactly what I had hoped it would be, how can I find the bright spots in the midst of that? And I know for some of you, if you're just really in the thick of it, that can be really hard to do to find a bright spot. Um, and so but I really encourage you 
to ask God to help you with that because he has done that for me. There were times where I felt really lonely and discouraged and sad about the circumstances in my life. And I allowed God to enter into that. And he really showed me some really great spots in my life that I could take joy in, in the midst of it all. I love that. And I hope that, I hope that really all women can hear that, even if, even if their life story sort of fit the narrative that they had planned, because I think very often church families miss an opportunity to remind others that no matter what, they are part of the family and that, and that they are not alone in their story because there really is sort of that, well, here's this sort of Christianese picture of a young family and husband and wife and two or three kids. And and this is what it looks like. And there are so many women I talk to that say, well, my story doesn't look like that. So I don't really feel like I fit. I don't feel like I belong. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So I think for those of you who feel like you don't belong, you are not alone. And and maybe for those of you who have the story that seems like it's the belonging story, it's a good thing to keep in mind that we that we reach out. That's what we're called to do, to really embrace that word family in so many different definitions. Yeah, absolutely. And I, as I talked about in my story night, I am part of people's families and I'm not related to them by blood, but they consider me family and I consider them family. And so, yes, the encouragement would be to the people who have the capacity to welcome someone in, please do it. But to those of you who are looking for family or wanting family, I encourage you to reach out as well. Like I remember when I first started going to Santa Barbara Community Church, one time Steve in his sermon said, you become like the people you spend your time with. And I took that really seriously. And I looked around and I said, who would I want to be like? And one of the people that I noticed was Bonnie Fear. And so I walked up to her and said, hey, could could I be a part of your life? And she said, absolutely. And that was 37 years ago. So, so I, I know it's so lovely to be invited, but I also feel like a little bit of the responsibility is on us to reach out. And, and I know that can be hard and there's a fear of rejection, but for the most part, people are so welcoming. So that would be another encouragement. Reach out. <laughs> Well, I could not agree with you more on reaching out to somebody like Bonnie. She is incredible. And if anyone is just tuning into this podcast for the first time, jump back to episode one. Bonnie's on episode one, and that just sort of sets the just the stage and gives a little bit of the background of just the Story Night ministry as a whole and how we got to this point. But I, I know that there are Bonnies out there all over. And just like you said, the those women, those people in your life that you think, I, yeah, I, I want to be around them. I want to be like them. And just these are people I'd like to spend my time with and, and be able to call family. And it is a little difficult to, to reach out. And, and sort of on that note in closing, maybe Rosemary, if you wouldn't mind praying for our listeners and really praying for sort of both groups, if you will, praying for the women who need the encouragement to be inclusive and to invite other women into their lives, into their families, and then praying for the women who maybe feel alone and feel like they don't belong in some way that they would feel the courage to reach out and and find that that family. Yeah, I'd be happy to. God, thank you that you desire us to live in community. And there's so many different ways community can look like. So God, I pray right now for the women listening to this podcast. I pray for those who feel like they have an abundance of community and family and have the ability to 
reach out and welcome people into that abundance. But I pray that you would give them courage to do just that. Thank you for them. Thank you for their desire to be part of the community of God's people. And God, I pray for the women who are listening, who are lonely, who don't feel like they have a family or a community or things have not uh, turned out the way that they had hoped or wished for. God, I pray most of all, you're the God of all comfort. And I pray that you would be that comfort to those women right now, God, that you would remind them of how much you love them, of how much you understand their sorrow and their pain, that they're not alone, even though they might feel alone, you're right there. And and you have suffered as they have suffered and you understand. God, let that be a comfort and a reminder. And also, God, I, I pray for them that they would be reminded of the words in Isaiah where you talk about how you won't let the waters overflow and you won't let the fire take them. God, let them be comforted with that. And God, I pray that you would give them courage to seek out community in whatever way that might look like for them, but that they would extend a hand and reach out. And God, thank you for these women. Thank you for how much they love you. And I pray that you would bless them and keep them and make your face shine upon them. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Rosemary, for taking time to do this. I, I just, I I miss getting to see you on our weekly Bible studies. And I just loved getting to go back and re-listen to your story again. And it was really fun for me too. I had never listened to it since I did it. And so it was so fun to listen to it. I had it, it, it was really brought back a lot of fun memories. Well, it's a treasure and I'm, I'm, I love getting to have these, you know, on record because it's such a special thing to be able to share and pass along. And, you know, you, you do have a lot of family members of younger generations to share your story with. And it's amazing. I appreciate it. And um, for, Everybody listening, I hope you really enjoyed this story. I hope this spoke to you. And for, again, all the women out there who are just feeling alone in in whatever way, you are not alone. And if there's anything that the Story Night Ministry can do for you, no matter where you live, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll come back next week for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.